Amen. Well, that'll be a good day, won't it? Uh, I'm looking forward to heaven. I hope you are. I hope you are too. Revelation chapter number 18. Revelation 18. We are continuing this series that I've entitled Welcome to the Future. And we are in a stretch here. I'm just being honest with you. We're in a stretch here of some rough chapters in the Bible. Um, talking about the judgment of God and these chapters are just severe. Uh, what's coming? What's coming to the planet um, during what the what we've come to call the tribulation period is absolutely amazing. Uh, we're concluding that today. Tonight we'll get into chapter number nineteen and talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it gets a little better tonight. Come back at six. This is this is rough when you read about what's going on on the planet. We have talked about some pretty horrific judgments <coughs> that God is prophesying that he gave to John by way of several visions. He gave to John these series of visions that we now have the book of Revelation. John was given the ability to see what's coming in the future. It still is future. Um, the, the part of the book that we're in now, you remember when John was uh, beginning the book, he said, the Spirit of God told him, I'm going to show you what was, what is, and what is to come. And we are in that section of the book on the things to come. Um, we've left history and we're looking at prophecy. Chapter number 17. Oh, let me back up. We started talking last week about Babylon. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, Babylon in the Bible is not only a geographic city. Today, really, the only people that are interested in the city of Babylon are archaeologists and historians because there's nothing there. One day Babylon's going to be rebuilt. The Bible indicates that the Antichrist that is coming is going to rebuild the city of Babylon and make that his capital. Um, there is so much to talk about. If you've not been up with us, I, I would advise you maybe to go back and check out some of the sermons online and catch up. Babylon was a geographical city but also in the scripture, the term Babylon is used to describe the system that is at work in this world. It is an anti-God system. It goes against everything that God says. It drives all of the, it drives all of the false religions in the world. In chapter 17, we looked at the uh, we looked at the destruction of religious Babylon. It was a horrific end to every false religion in the world. And God brings this about. He brings about the end of, of all false religion. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of religions in the world today. And regardless of what people say, they're not all going to the same end. And they don't all have the same worth. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way. And any religion that gets you to God and gets you to heaven other than through the Lord Jesus Christ is a false religion. So in chapter 17, we saw the end of that. So I, I've worded it like this. We're, we're talking today about destroying economic Babylon, but I'm introducing it like this. Chapter 17 reveals the destruction of ecumenical Babylon, and chapter 18 reveals the end of or the destruction of economic Babylon. There are two things, two, two of these aspects at work described by this term Babylon. It is a world system that is against God. Uh, verses 1 and 2 here in chapter 18, this angel comes and he announces 
judgment coming against the world's economy. That's what we're going to look at today. Judgment against the world's economy. Not only is the false one world religion going to be done away with, but I believe the scripture teaches that there's coming a one world economic system that God is always is also going to judge and a person's money, his wealth, her possessions, all of those things are going to be taken away and they're going to be left scratching their heads. What do I do now? In October of 1929, the stock market crashed in the United States. Uh, we've come to call the day that that happened Black Tuesday. My dad was born earlier in that year, so my dad grew up in the uh, he grew up in the Depression era. I only know the Depression era through history and what I read. That hundreds of thousands of Americans, if not millions, lost their homes in foreclosure. That a lot of Americans died through malnutrition and starvation because they didn't have money to buy food. A lot of people committed suicide when the stock market crashed because they had built their lives on the dollars that they had and all at once they were gone. And especially businessmen all over the country took their own lives because they had, they had nothing else to live for. They'd built, they'd built their whole lives on the dollar. They had identified their worth as to how much money and how many things that they had. And when the stock market crashed in 1929, it not only impacted our country, it impacted several countries. It devastated people. Some lost all that they had. I'm saying all that because Revelation 18 says there is coming an economic disaster to the world that is going to make October 1929 pale in comparison. It'll look like a hiccup to what is coming to this world. I know, and and you know too, our coins and our bills in this country say on them, in God we trust, don't they? But the truth is this. A lot of people trust more in that coin or that bill than they do the God whose name is on it. We have built, we, we, we have made everything in our life about making money. I think in a lot of ways our, our economy in the world is already globally linked. If Beijing or Tokyo or New York or London, if their if uh, stock markets hiccup, boy, it just shudders in the rest of the world, doesn't it? If something goes goofy over there in Tokyo, all of a sudden Wall Street here in the States gets nervous and things start happening and people are selling and people are losing money like crazy. Already we're pretty globally linked. But there's coming a day when I believe what, what, happened with, uh, what happened in Europe with the euro, I think that's going to come to the world. And let me, let me say this real quick. It's convenient when you go over to Europe because uh, you only buy euros. And that euro that, that euro that I used in Spain worked for me in Amsterdam. That's convenient. I think it's how it's going to get sold. This will just be better for everyone. We, we've talked before, and I'm, I'm not, this is not a political thing at all, so don't start getting your dander up. But I, I look at the vaccine that was created for the COVID-19 virus. Now, I don't care if you're pro or anti. I, that's not my point here. My point here is, do you realize how quickly the world came together to solve a problem? Right, wrong, or indifferent, how quickly did the entire world come together 
and say, this will be good for all of us. Well, when things start to tank in this world, it's going to be the same the same plausibility, the same, uh, the same argument. Hey, this will be better for all of us if we'll just, and there we go. So we're looking today at Revelation chapter 18 and talking about the, we're talking about Babylon, the, the end of economic Babylon. What's it going to be? Now, let me pause and say this. If you're a Christian today, you don't have to worry about any of this. You're going to be gone. We believe in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the church being raptured away. And that's a whole other that's a whole other thing. But I don't I'm not worried. Honestly, I'm not worried one bit. There's two reasons I'm not worried one bit about the economic collapse of the world. The first one is I won't be here. The second is I don't have that much to lose anyway. So I don't have enough to go jump off a building, so that's not gonna bother me at all. But it is gonna tank. And it's gonna be God's doing. God is going to prove himself to be the omnipotent God he has always been. And man's been laughing about that. Man scoffs at those things. But there's coming a day when God's going to have enough. And his grace is going to run out. And then it's just pure, undiluted, unrestrained judgment. The Bible calls it the full wrath of God. That just gives me goosebumps thinking about that. That an omnipotent God acts in wrath. That's amazing. Let's read, to get us into this, we're going to make our way through, Lord willing, through the whole chapter of chapter 18 today, but let's just, um, let's read the first eight verses. So if you're in the New Testament, the very last book, Revelation chapter 18, verse 1 says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself, and lived, don't you like this phrase, and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and I am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. Let's stop right there. As I said, we'll get into the rest of the thing, but I want to look today at Babylon, the economy of the world coming to ruin during the tribulation period. I think this is going to happen probably halfway through, somewhere around halfway through the tribulation period. We'll see this happen. Let's have a word of prayer and ask God to help us today. This is, they, they use some pictures in here that are, uh, that are interesting, but let's, let's ask God to help us today, not only to understand what we read, but what do I do with that as a Christian? I'm not going to be here when this happens, so what do I do with this information today in my life? How is that supposed to change me? 
Let's ask God to help us understand that, all right? Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for telling us what's coming. It's hard for us to imagine some of the things that are prophesied in this book, and I know a lot of it has been written off as allegory or symbolism, but Lord, it describes a a terrible period of judgment, seven years long, where your hand of protection is pulled back and your hand of judgment is turned loose. And Lord, I pray that uh, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, may they come to Christ today. If there are Christians here who are waffling and they're going back and forth between the world and Christianity, trying to live with one foot in each place, I, I pray, Lord, that you'd call them to full surrender to you. Help us to live our lives in such a way that people are attracted to Jesus Christ. Forgive us for those times in our Christianity where we're brutal with the gospel and we drive people away. Jesus wants to save. He, he comes in love. And he's calling people to be Christians today. And so help us as your children to be good ambassadors for you, like Paul said. And I pray all this in your name, Lord. Amen. Let's make our way through these verses, can we? The first eight verses there, we'll look at this, a system corrupted. First thing is a system corrupted. It it uses words in here like fornication. In fact, it uses that a lot. And the abundance of her delicacies and things like that. The system in the world is corrupted. And so I'm going to take that system, this world system that works against God. And and let me say this. We mentioned this last week. The world is not, in, in this sense, the world system that we're talking about is not people. It's a system. It's at work through people. But it's not people. Christians... People are not your enemy. They're not. They're souls that Jesus died to save. So when we talk about the world today, I'm not talking about Democrats or Republicans. I'm not, I'm not even talking about communists or dictators. I'm talking about a system that is at work in this world. It has demonic power behind it. The devil is at work through it. And it is against everything God is for. Sometimes it's blatantly against it, and sometimes it's covertly against it, but it's against it. So let's look at this system corrupted, and the first thing is this. Verse number two tells us the power behind the system. Let's just let the Bible say what it says, and it says in verse number two that Babylon has fallen, and it that world system is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. What it is telling us there is that the world's system and one day the world's economy is going to be energized and controlled by the devil's crowd, by his demons at work. Foul spirits, it says. The habitation of devils. They're going to be at work in this system. We look at things today, and as Christians, and I'm guilty of this, and you may be too, I look at certain things and think, man, it can't get any worse than this. But the truth is it can, and it will. We were just talking yesterday. Uh, I think I was praying with Brother Wayne and Brother Wes. I think it was Brother Wayne that brought up that verse in the Bible. It says, as you get closer to the end of time, it's going to just wax worse and worse. And I think to myself, man, it can't get any, it can't get any worse than this. It sure can. And this is what's being described here. I know that there, and, and speak to some of our missionaries in certain parts of the world, 
but also even in our country, I know there is demonic activity. I've talked with um, I've talked with some of our law enforcement officers, and they're like, I don't know what that was, but it sure seemed like a demon in that person, a devil in that person. There there is demonic activity today, but you know what we learn in this? That during the tribulation period, that seven year period after the rapture and before the return of Christ, we learn that demonic activity goes crazy. They are turned loose on the planet. And there is this spiritual battle that we already have is going to be greatly intensified. So that's the power behind this world system. It's the devil behind it and those that are following him. The second thing is not just the power of it, but the pull of it, the pull of this system. What do I mean by that? The draw. What's drawing people to it? It says in verse number three that the economic system that's going to be put in place, this one world economic system that's coming, is going to seduce the leaders of the world to put put in with it. They're going to go along with this. Look at verse number three. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Remember that that word fornication, it's talking about a spiritual adultery. And here they are giving up their economic freedom as a nation to to throw in with the Antichrist's economic boom. When When the Antichrist shows up, he's going to show up with a lot of good answers to a lot of terrible problems. And once his policies get enacted, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a, a wonderfully, uh, productive economy. People in our world already love money. They're already obsessed with it. They love it more than God, which the Bible says is sin. The love of money, the root of all evil. Remember, they already are obsessed with it. I think that's only going to deepen during the first part of the tribulation period where the policies of the Antichrist are going to increase people's economic status in this world. They're going to fall for it. This economy is seducing them. That's the word that the Bible uses there in uh, in the scripture. It draws them in. They have committed fornication with her. The kings of the world. It's a seducing system. You know, one of the things, one of the greatest things as a parent, one of the greatest things that I, I pray for for our kids is that they're not seduced by the world. This world is alluring It promises so much. Everything in the world promises you and your family wonderful things. It's it's the seduction of the world. It holds out great promise, but it cannot deliver. So you have the spirit of this system. What is it? It's being demonically driven. You have the seduction of this system. It is drawing people in because for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, things in this world are not going to be bad. There will be judgments of God, and I'm not saying that's not coming. But the Antichrist is going to give real answers that seem to work. Israel's going to be shaking hands with her neighbors. The economy's going to go well. People are going to be making money. That's the seduction of the system. It seems to be going well. But then you have the pronouncement on this system in verses 4 through 8. It says this other voice comes from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and that ye receive not her plagues. 
It calls them, uh, it calls God's people not to participate with the world. The reason in verse number five is because God's remembered her iniquities. And then in verse six, it starts talking about the reward that Babylon is going to earn. God is going to pronounce judgment on the world's economy. But first, I I want you to notice there in verse number four that God warns his own people, don't get caught up in the wickedness of the day. May I encourage you that this is not only for the tribulation saints that are coming, but it's for you and me today. Don't get caught up in this world. The world is seductive today. He He says in verse number four, come out from her. Watch out for that world system. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 says that God expects his people, you and me, God expects his people to be different. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. There ought to be something different in you because you have Jesus in you. There ought to be something different in you. You ought to look at at various things that come into our life, and everybody has them. Everybody has trials in life, and everybody has hardships in life, and everybody has blessings in life, and everybody has those gifts in life. There are wonderful things, and there are bad things. All of us face them. But how we face them for the Christian ought to be very different than the world does. We ought not to get so wrapped up in the gift that God gives us as we are the giver. We ought to look past the gift and say, God is such a good God to give me the blessings he's given me. And when those hardships come, we ought to look past those hardships and say, I know this is is a temporary thing, but God is still giving me grace to get through these hard times. We ought to look at our entire life differently than the world. That's what he's calling us to. He says, come out. My people need to come out. Don't get caught up in the world. And then he starts talking about the world. And he goes into detail here about this judgment. So I want you to note the details of the pronouncement on this this system. First of all, in verse 5, you see her deeds. You see that? In verse number 5, it talks about what she's done. Her sins have reached up into heaven and God has remembered, remembered her iniquities. Up until now, God's been pretty patient. We've talked about this before. God is still acting in the world according to grace and mercy so far. But at this point, his patience is going to, his patience runs out and Babylon, uh, Babylon's sins have reached their limit. Her deeds are done. God is done with it. You remember last week when we talked about it, that pronouncement that comes from heaven? It is done. Well, that's what's going to happen with the world system as far as the economy goes. Her deeds... In verse number 6, it talks about her doom. Note that word reward. That reward doesn't mean a gift. That reward actually means payment. You're going to pay that which is due. The world system draws us into being covetous people. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. But is that not what a lot of people struggle with? We struggle with, I, I don't have enough. You know what I found? I found that a lot of times... It's not that my needs aren't being met. It's just I don't have everything I want. God said, I will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Your needs are going to be met. The truth is God does take better care of us than just our needs because we all have more than we really need. Let's be honest. We look at those churches up there. Some of you, if we'd have put on our Facebook page that, uh, that our air conditioning was broke today, some of you have been, you know what, I think I'm going to stay home and watch this online. 
But the truth is, we can have church without air conditioning. They're doing it in Asosa, Ethiopia today. We have so much more than we really need. But a lot of times our frustration is, I don't have what I want, and I want more. And the world drives me to that. The world shows me commercials, and it shows me billboards, and it shows me ads on the Internet, and it tells you, Mark, you really need this. If you'll have this, you'll be happy. Well, that world system is causing, it causes us to be covetous, and, and that the work of that world system, God says, I'm going to pay it back now. So it says in verse number 6 that the world is going, Babylon is going to get her reward. Reward her even as she rewarded you. And then it goes on to use that word double. That's not saying, that's not saying God is going to punish Babylon for twice what she's done. That's not what that's saying at all. It's saying that everything she has done, she's going to get back. John Gill, he wrote back in the 1700s, he said this, the meaning is not to inflict upon her a punishment doubly great, uh, doubly greater than her sins, for this would be contrary to the justice of God. Nor does God ever punish men in this life more, but actually less than their iniquities deserve. I've found that to be true. God has not punished me for all my sin. He's been gracious to me. In fact, David, back in the Psalms, asked this question. Lord, if you marked iniquity, who could stand? If God punished us as we deserve, who would survive that? And the implication is nobody would. God, you're a God of grace. He's not talking about, he's not talking about rewarding her double for what he's done. He's saying what she has done, she's going to get that back, her reward. She's going to demonstrate the truth of Galatians 6, 17, that we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow, and we do. You want corn? Sow corn. You want apples? Sow apples. You don't want pears? Then don't sow pears. But you're going to reap, and I'm going to reap, what we've sown. There are a lot of people today thinking they're getting away with sin. They're not. God's going to call this into question one day, and that's what he's doing here in verses uh, in verses 5 through 8, he's telling them about that. So her deeds, in verse number 5, they've come up to heaven. Her doom, she's going to get what she has coming in verse number 6. Look at verse number 7, the deception that she used, the deception of Babylon. Babylon, and doesn't this sound like the world? Babylon says how much, or, or the word says how much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit like a queen. I'm no widow and shall see no sorrow. Here's the message of the world. Listen carefully. We can do whatever we want. We're not going to pay for it. God, God wants us. If there is a God, he wants us to enjoy this life however we see fit. That's what the world is saying. And Babylon glorifies herself. She, she vaunts herself and presents herself as something to be wanted and desirable. The world conducts itself as though it is above judgment and everything is going to be fine. But Revelation 18 says that's not the case. God's going to judge this world. Many live like this today. I, I wrote this down. Many live like this today, thinking that they are exempt from God's judgment, that the book of Revelation is just a fable. 
God addresses this thinking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 3. And here's what it says. Now picture the world saying, look, just do whatever is good for you, do it. I'll do whatever's good for me. You do whatever's good for you. Everything's just going to be fine. It's all going to work out. God says this in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 3. For when they shall say peace and safety, then shall destruction come upon them as travail upon a woman with child. They shall not escape. What the world is presenting is not true. When she says at the end of verse number, uh, where is it at? At the end of verse number seven, when she says, I'm going to do what I want to do and shall see no sorrow. That's not true. That's a, that's a huge lie. We, we reap what we sow. And if the world is projecting all these things that are anti-God and anti-Christ, that's not true. In fact, that leads me to verse 8, her destruction. It says in verse number 8, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day. And look how God describes it. Death, mourning, and famine. With all her power, this world cannot, they cannot withstand the judgment of an omnipotent God. They just can't do it. Her destruction comes swiftly. All that man has built over thousands of years is brought to nothing in a day. And there's no escape. Everything's going to be settled here. Do you see the end of verse number 8? For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. This judgment is going to come. It's going to be absolutely sure. That word strong means forcible. Elsewhere it talks about valiant, uh, 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 valor in battle. This God's not going to be stopped. He's not going to be withheld. This judgment is coming to the world system. This world is corrupted. How many times in those verses that we read does he refer to the fornication, the spiritual adultery of this world? It's forsaken God and it's sought itself. Dr. Manley talked about that this morning in our Sunday school hour. And he was saying either God created man or man created God. And by and large, man, has, man thinks he's created God. But there's coming a day when it's going to be set right. So this is this system, and this system is corrupted. Let's look at the next several verses, the system considered. What does the Bible tell us all about this system, the system considered? Look at verse number 9. It says, The kings of the earth who have committed fornication and live deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour thy judgment is come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, and no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. Now mark this. Now we're getting into the details of economy. Merchants, their merchandise... Verse 12, the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thyene wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots, and slaves, and souls of men, and the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these, which were made rich by her, by Babylon, by the economic system, 
which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company in ships and sailors and as many as trade by the sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried. You know, that's a, a sign of uh, mourning, an intense mourning, throwing dust on their heads, the Bible says, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. The system considered. When this economic system is judged, the entire world grieves. We read in there a few times that word, alas. Who used alas in a sentence this last week? I didn't, except when I was reading this chapter. I don't use that word, so that's a word that's not familiar to me. So I have to look up in scripture and see, why would someone say alas? Alas is a grief word. It's, it's, a, it's an exclamatory. We're overwhelmed with grief. Oh my, oh my, we would say. They say alas, and they say it repeatedly. Why? Again and again and again in these verses, it's because possessions are gone. Go through and read it again. The merchants, the shipmasters, the shipbuilders, all of them are saying alas because their things, uh, their things are gone. Note how these different groups. Re- uh, note how these different groups react to this loss. We'll go through this quickly. In verses nine and ten, it talks about the monarchs. It talks about the monarchs, the political leaders of the earth, those that rose to power through the economy. We have despots all over the world that are where they are because they used the economy in their country to gain their political power. And all over the world, they're going to mourn because that which brought them to power is suddenly gone. The economies of every nation on the earth, according to these verses we just read, are going to suddenly crash. Did you catch that? It keeps saying in one hour or in one day. It's talking about how suddenly this thing is going to tank. I was talking, I bumped into a, I bumped into a young man the other day in rural King, um, that used to be in our youth department here. He's now a lieutenant over in the jail in Knox County. And he was talking about, he said, he said, I know there's a lot of people stockpiling cash. He said, I think one day that cash is not going to be worth anything. He's right. I don't know what it's going to be. I'd hold on to your cash. You're going to need it to go to Burger King tomorrow or something. I wouldn't get rid of it today. But that's exactly what he said. He said, I think that, he said, I think people stockpiling cash. He said, I think they're going to they're going to wake up one day and that thing's not going to be any good. And all I was thinking when he was saying that was Revelation chapter 18 says that. In one hour, all of this is lost. All of these things are lost. So the political leaders, the monarchs of the earth, they're crying out alas. Look at verses 11 through 17 and it talks about the merchants of the earth. The world's business leaders are going to see their financial empire brought to nothing. The Bible teaches in these verses. They mourn. Did you see that in verse number 12? They mourn, uh, or verse 11, they're mourning because nobody has money to buy their merchandise anymore. You can have all the goods and services you want, but you're not going to give them away for free. But nobody has anything to buy. 
all that they are sitting on is now worthless. You can break up verses 12, 13, and 14 like this. In verse number 12, it lists the luxuries of life. In verse 13, the necessities of life. And in verse 14, the exotics. All of those things are going to be unavailable and unattainable. I mean, things like like silver and fine linen and scarlet, they don't do you much if you're starving and there's no place to buy food and there's no food to buy. Those are the luxuries of life. But when you get to verse 13, it talks about cinnamon and ointments and wine and flour and wheat and farm animals that you eat. They're not available, and you don't have money to buy those. And then you get to verse 14, fruits that thy soul lusted after, all the things that were dainty. You don't need those things. We went out for dinner last night. Terry and I did. We didn't need those chocolate-covered strawberries that they brought to us. That's a dainty. But you can't get those either. You can't get the necessities of life. You can't get the luxuries of life. You can't even get the exotic things that you can only get every once in a while. None of those are going to be available. You know what I noticed, though? And this is tragic, but this is how the world thinks. Did you notice that gold is listed first in verse number 12? And that the souls of men are listed almost at the end of this list. That's how the world thinks. This is a money-loving world. But it's all going to be gone one day. It's all going to be gone. Verses 15 and 17, these people are weeping over the destruction of Babylon. It says that more than once, but it's, that's, that pictures the success of the world. Babylon is going to picture the success of the world. I, I wrote this down. Today, almost anything we desire is readily available in our country. I may not be able to afford it, but it is pretty readily available in our country. We complain about high prices today. Are you complaining about it? I don't like $3.29 for a gallon of gas. I think that's ridiculous. But you know what I noticed? Even though I'm complaining about the high prices and all that, I noticed that the Walmart parking lot stays relatively full. You know what else I noticed? That Texas Roadhouse down there in West Morristown, that parking lot is always full. You don't drive by that. Whenever they, I don't know what time they open, what Cheyenne knows, when they open, they fill up. I complain about high prices, but there's still a lot of money being spent. But there's coming a day when money's going to be worthless and things you need and want, they're not going to be available. It's a terrible destruction, and earth is going to be brought to her knees. The monarchs, the kings, the political leaders, they're crying about it. The merchants who have all of these things to sell, they're crying about it. Verses 17, 18, and 19 talk about the mariners. I'm trying to do all these with M's. talks about the mariners. And these are the people who are involved in shipping. The shipmasters, the workers on the ships, they transport the goods around the world. Anyone in the business of transporting goods. I don't, I don't know that we have any pilots of those ships, those big cargo ships that go across the oceans in here, but we've got people in here involved in the trucking business. The trucking business is going to come to a complete stop because merchandise is not being moved anymore. Can't buy it, can't sell it, can't manufacture it. How, what are you going to move it with? So it's in, in this world, in John's world, their big transportation system were ships. But in our world, trucks, the railways, anything that moves goods, 
That's what you can read into this shipping problem. UPS and FedEx, it's all coming to a stop. The whole world's economy is going to be impacted. And all over the world, these people, these, pol- these political leaders, business leaders, these, these people in the shipping industry, they're all crying out. And then you get to verse number 20. And verse number 20 says, Rejoice over her, thou heaven. Everybody in the world is grieving. The world religion has been taken away. The earth has been pummeled by this earthquake and these hailstones that we talked about earlier. And now the economy absolutely collapses. And verse 20, to the inhabitants of heaven, rejoice over what's happening on earth. Does that not seem backwards and offensive? Rejoice at what's happening. What in the world? While the earth is mourning, Babylon uh, is falling, heaven is rejoicing. If you'll read that whole verse, it says that the world system is responsible for the death of many of God's people throughout the centuries. And now God's judgment is coming. What saddens the hearts of people on earth causes shouts of joy in heaven. Now, I can't say, I can't say that we will be uh, rejoicing over the fact that people are suffering. The rejoicing is coming from the fact that God's perfect justice is finally being executed and that he is doing what he should be doing. And we have a perfect perspective on it. And that sounds offensive to us today. But I want to remind you that today, in August 2023, you and I do not have a perfect perspective on justice. We don't. We think we do. But we don't. The only way to have a perfect perspective on justice in this world is to see exactly like God sees. And you and I can't do that until we get to heaven. And we will have his perspective. And that rejoicing will be right. I just find it so interesting that while earth mourns, heaven is rejoicing. So you have a system corrupted. It's corrupted by the devil and his followers. Then you have this system considered, and you can see God is bringing everything to a halt. I mean, just I'm not a businessman. I'm a preacher. But, I mean, those of you who are businessmen, I just want you to think for a moment. When manufacturing and production and sales and shipping and marketing are no longer possible, what are you going to do in this world to get anything? If those five things are taken away in the business world, what are you going to do? The answer is nothing. God has brought it to a complete stop on a global scale. That's that's a mess. The last part of this chapter, then we're done. A system condemned. This is how God's going to judge this evil world. Verses 21 through 24. It says in verse 21, it brings out another angel. And it says, and a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, cast it into the sea, saying, thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. The the world system, it's coming to a crashing halt. And the voice of the harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. 
and the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were, by, were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Ooh, that's a terrible passage of scripture. Verse number 21 is her, her, her condemnation is characterized. Her condemnation is characterized. It talks about a millstone. We don't use millstones today. You see them over in Gatlinburg and, or Pigeon Forge. You go to the old mill or something like that. So why does, what, what does he say about this millstone? That the destruction of Babylon's economy is going to come like a millstone being thrown into the sea. What's going to happen when a stone that's four or five feet tall and a, thi- and a foot thick, what's going to happen when we throw that in the bottom of Cher- into Cherokee Lake? That stone is going to suddenly and completely disappear. It has absolutely no flotation capability whatsoever. A millstone that's four or five feet tall and a foot thick, weighing hundreds of pounds, if you throw it into Cherokee Lake, it is going straight to the bottom. It's not going to stop on its way down. It is going to suddenly and completely disappear. He's saying the judgment that's coming to this world, to the system of this world, it's going to happen just like that. It's going to be like throwing a millstone into the sea. What's going to happen? It's going to quickly and and completely disappear. And he's judging Babylon forever. <coughs> Excuse me, that world system, he's judging it forever. We don't have time to turn there today. I'm trying to watch my I'm trying to watch the clock. I'm not just not doing a good job of it. Would you just write down Jeremiah 41 or Jeremiah 51? Jeremiah 51 is that prophet's, it's a, it's a detailed look at the destruction of Babylon. It's talking about what we're talking about in chapter 17 and 18. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 64 in Jeremiah 51 says this, And thou shalt say, Thus shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her. It's that swidden stuff. Uh, uh, that sudden, swift, complete destruction, it's going away. Jeremiah was talking about that hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born and thousands of years before it's going to be completed. So the first thing you have is her condemnation is characterized. And in verses 22 and 23, her condemnation is completed. And he details things there. Did you catch that? In verses 22 and 23, he's telling you what's not going to be found on earth anymore. He says in verse 22, he talks about no more music. Music tends to be associated with rejoicing, and nobody's rejoicing on planet Earth anymore. He said there's no more music. He also says there's no more manufacturing. In verse 22, when he says, no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found anymore. There's no production going on. And then he says there's no, there's no milling going on. The millstones are going to come. There's no crops. There's no crops to process. So the mill's not going on. The light of the candle is going to be put out. That, and I know Tom Baudet, you know, he gives us the, we'll leave the light on for you. That's the we'll leave the light on for you guy. Do you know why he says, do you know why that was such a successful campaign? That guy was a, mar- whoever came up with we'll leave the light on for you, a marketing genius. Who leaves the light on for you, generally speaking? Your mom and dad. Home. A light in the window at home. That, that's just, he, he says, there's not going to be lights left on at home. Everything's being taken away. 
No more music. No more manufacturing and production. There's no, uh, there's no draw to go home. He says in verse number 23, there's not going to be any marriages. The bridegroom and the bride, did you see that? Generally speaking, marriage, we're going to talk about the marriage supper tonight. Generally speaking, marriage is a wonderful time of rejoicing. But no one's rejoicing on the earth. The earth is under the judgment of God at this point. And there's going to be no one rejoicing. Her judgment is going to be complete. And then the last thing in verses 23 and 24, her judgment contemplated. I I want to draw this to a close now and, and tell you think about what we're talking about this morning. And then I'm done. Her judgment contemplated. I want to say this to you, that everything the world stands for is against God. Everything the world stands for is against God. It is anti-God at its core. Why? Because it's driven by Satan and his demons. So it's going, it may look like it. I know the world promises great things. But the world's words are lies. This is the word of God. Listen to Proverbs chapter 11 and verses 4 and 28. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. The Bible's telling us exactly the opposite of the world. The world says, get all you can and keep it. God says money will not prosper in the day of wrath, in the day of judgment. Babylon is going, Babylon's going to fall. The world system is going to collapse. I'm not being a doomsday prophet. I'm just telling you what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 18. 17, 8 says the world is going. All, and people mock these people for a long time. And some of them are crazy. I'm just going to tell you. There's some people out in the world. They're holding signs. And these people are crazy. The world is coming to an end. Their motivation and their reasoning is completely wrong. But their premise isn't. God's going to bring the world down so that he can create a new world. The Bible says he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. But to do that, he's going to get rid of the old one. And a lot of that has to do with the economy. So what in our lives is to be impacted and changed as we read about this destruction of the world's economy? What needs to be impacted and changed today? This hasn't happened yet. It's not going to happen for a while yet. And most of us in this room, if not all of us, we're not going to be here when it does happen. If you're saved this morning, you're not going to be here when this happens. So what changes in my life today as a result of knowing this? What what do I need to do with this information? There's got to be something more than just getting knowledge from God's word. There's got to be something that changes my life. What do we do here? Let's start with this thought. This world system in which all people on earth live is lying to you about everything. I want you to know this. What the world promises you about prosperity, about satisfaction, and about stability All of those things are false. The world says you need to have a huge bank account for your retirement. That's what's going to give you peace of mind. 
I, I know a man who lived most of his life saying that the two most important things in the world were insurance and education. Insurance for those things that you couldn't see and education so you could get a good job and make a lot of money and take care of what you couldn't see. He lived his life for insurance and education. That's the world. But things about prosperity and satisfaction and stability, the world's solution for those things, listen carefully, they're all temporal. They're all temporal. Now, is is it a good thing to have money? Yeah, you're going to need money. I'm telling you, you're going to need it. But to love it is what Scripture warns against. Scripture never says don't make a lot of money. Scripture doesn't say that at all. It just warns us against loving money. What your motivation is for making a lot of money. I think you ought to have a good living. God says he wants to give you his blessings. He does that through work. And I think it's fine. But to love it, and that's your life goal to make a lot of money, you're chasing you're chasing a temporal, smoke-filled goal that's just going to go away. Listen to these two scriptures. Matthew six nineteen through 21 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, nor do thieves break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." This world's solutions for peace and stability and satisfaction, they're temporal. They won't last. Second scripture is 1 John 2, 15 through 17. I've mentioned this a lot lately. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And here it is. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The world is a temporal thing. The economy, the economy under God's judgment during the tribulation period will collapse. It's going to. Now, you and I have lived through some collapses already. I don't know if there's anybody in here that remembers, you know, 1929, the Great Depression. Probably not. But some of you have lived through some times when our economy in this country, poor, it went crazy. You remember that. I remember in 1986 when Sam, billion, or, or Sam uh, Walton lost billions of dollars in hours. Sam Walton, Walton Walmart founder, lost billions of, of dollars in a matter of hours. They asked him about it the next day. You know what he said? This was incredible. Everybody remember this? You know what he said? That's just all paper. That's a guy who had, he held a loose grasp on things of the world. It's just paper. Don't love this world. Don't live for this world. There's a life after, after you die. You might say, Pastor, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter if you believe it. It doesn't matter if I believe it. Truth is truth and fact is fact. And there is life after death. Everyone lives somewhere forever. My closing thought is this. All true hope is found only in Jesus Christ. That's it. You cannot hope in this world. Make a good living. Provide for your family. The Bible says if you do not provide for your family, you are worse than an infidel, an unbeliever. 
But don't love this world or the things in this world. Live for the life that is to come. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. If if you've never been, been a Christian before, if you've never become a Christian, put your faith in Christ. He's the only hope. Pastor, when is all this stuff going to happen? I have no idea. I don't, because I don't know when Jesus is coming again. But I just know it's going to happen. Everything God prophesied thousands of years before they happened, so far have happened. He's not missed one prophecy. Why in the world would I think he's going to miss the ones at the end of the book? Put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Christian, don't love this world. Invest in eternity. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Live for what is real. And by real, I mean eternal. Eternal. What does God want you to do in this life? Find it and do it to the best of your ability. Do it because he's given you the opportunity to. Let's stand together, would you? Father, thank you for giving us this passage of scripture. And it's hard to preach it, probably hard to hear it, to think of a world that is in complete economic ruin, is beyond our capability. But we're going to believe it because your word is true. So, Lord, I pray for those that might be here today not saved, and I ask that you would move in their hearts. You can, can, through your Holy Spirit, convince people that your word is true. There may be kids back in our children's church who are not saved, but it's just now starting to click with them that there's a God that they have to answer to. They're learning what sin is and that they're guilty of it. And so, Father, I pray that whether people are in this room or in our children's church or they're joining us online, that if they're not saved, they'd be saved. And then I pray for Christians, Lord, each one of us who know you as Savior, help us to live with the right perspective in this world. May you be our priority in every area of our life. May we remember that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. May we remember that you came to seek and save that which is lost. And when you left this world, you turned to your church and you said, now you're the light of the world. So help us to be good stewards with the gospel in telling people about Christ. Do what you will in the hearts of people you've brought here today. And I pray this in your name. Amen. I'll ask you, if you would, for just a minute to have your heads bowed and your eyes closed.